One of the things that's tricky with these if-then sorts of statements is that if we start to use them a lot, kids catch on to the idea that there might always be a reward on the other end of any behavior that we, their parents, or their teachers might decide is good, Mm -hmm. right? And the research on this is interesting. You know, what it shows is that as they get older, many kids start asking their parents things like, well, what are you going to give me for it when their parents ask them to do something? And again, that can feel like icky to us as parents, right? Especially when it's something like, you know, oh, please, honey, would you go help your little brother get his coat on? And the response is, what are you going to give me for it? I don't like to argue, so I say nothing and fume for days. How do I set boundaries without sounding like a jerk? I hate the idea that I might accidentally offend somebody, so sometimes I'd just rather say nothing at all. Welcome to the Language Alchemy Podcast, and thank you for joining me today. This is your host, Alejandra Siroca, a transformative communication teacher and coach devoted to helping you have more peace and more harmony in all your relationships. In this episode, you are in for a treat. I have a dear guest with me to talk to us about how we tend to communicate to children during the holiday season, especially when we talk to them about the possibility of them receiving special gifts or presents that they really want. My guest is Caroline Griswold, my teaching partner. If you've been listening to the podcast for some time, you may have heard Caroline and I talk about how to cultivate connection with children and stressed out parents during these pandemic years. If you haven't, check out episode five. You'll find a link to that episode on the show notes. Now, before we start, let me say a few words about my teaching partner, Caroline Griswold. Caroline is a parenting coach. And she is my go-to person when it comes to communication with children. Caroline helps parents find greater joy and connection with their children and grow into their parenting with grace, insight, and humor. She is passionate about bringing more ease and confidence to parenting and facilitating respectful communication between parents and children from birth. You'll find a link to her website in the show notes. Now, before I bring Caroline in, I have a spoiler alert announcement for parents. If you are listening to this episode in the presence of your little ones, I strongly suggest you use headsets because there are going to be things that you are going to hear that you may want to have for your ears only. Now, without further ado, let me welcome Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Alejandra. Thank you for having me back. Yes, absolutely. And I have a feeling you're going to be back many, many times. (laughs) (laughs) That would be wonderful. Well, something you and I talk about frequently is the language of conditions that we have learned from our parents and that then we replicate when we talk to our children. You know, like... If you do X, you will get Y. And last week, you and I got together and I heard a story from you about your son, Hale, 
that really inspired me to do this episode. So would you be willing to share that story with us? Sure. Yeah, my son is very close to turning eight. He's in second grade. And of course, he's getting very excited about the holidays. We celebrate Christmas. And he's been looking at all the gifts that he wants and thinking about what kind of gifts his friends are wanting and going to get. And this past week, he came home and said that one of his very best little buddies was going to get Minecraft for Christmas. Wow. Yeah. And I said, oh, oh, really? And he said, well, he will get it if he behaves. And I said, oh, okay. And then my son said, you know, mom, I'm the only one of my friends whose parents don't use the if and the behave. And they say, I'm really lucky because they hate it. <laughs> so what he means is that we try not to use the if you do this, you will get that. Or if you don't, you won't get that. And if you behave, you'll get this. And if you don't, you won't get that. So he's starting to notice that lots of families do this for such understandable reasons and trying to figure it out what it all means. Yes. And what I loved about this story, as so many stories that you have shared with me about Hill, is that because of the way you have been communicating with Hill from a very young age, he is able to notice language and the impact of language. So when I heard you tell me that story and you share that he noticed they use that if they behave and my friends hate it <laughs> and then noticing and you don't use that with me <laughs> and then even noticing like wow I'm lucky I guess what he was saying is like I don't have something to hate here because there's an absence of that in your language with me <laughs> Right. And trust me, he has plenty to hate. Of <laughs> he course. Many things <laughs> to be unhappy about that his parents do. But what's interesting about him is that he's noticed this for a couple of years now. And like all parents, we get frustrated with his behavior. And there are times when we feel like, oh, I wish he wouldn't do this thing. And so yeah. once in a while, we lean on that old sort of tool that many of us heard, if you don't get your teeth brushed, we're not going to be able to have enough time for reading or something. And he gets furious. He'll mm. say things like, mom, we don't use the if in our family, you know, <laughs> and this is not something that we've ever told him. We didn't sit him down and tell him, but he has just noticed over the years that we do try, we try not to. And what you're bringing up there, Caroline, is the importance of understanding that our children learn language and communication from us. We are our children's first language and communication teachers, even when we're not specifically taking a moment aside to highlight to our children, I'm teaching you about how to communicate right now. <laughs> That's right. In fact, sometimes he notices things that we don't even notice, I would say, even more than the more intentional things we tell him. Right. Yes. So I have a few questions here for you. How do we talk to children about the holidays and especially about the gifts that they may receive without adding a condition? In so many places around the world, 
when the end of the year comes, there are these beautiful rituals and traditions that include children receiving gifts. How do we talk to them about that without having that added layer of condition? If you behave, you will get that. And there are plenty of even songs in our culture. You know, I was thinking this morning about Santa is coming to town right. song. And <laughs> if you behave, then Santa will be good to you and you will get gifts. So how do we do this? Yes. In fact, Hale has lots of feelings about that song. And he, he's been telling me lately it's his least favorite song because he doesn't like that idea. So yeah. Yeah. I, it's such a good question. And I, I think my biggest piece of advice would be to try as much as possible to separate your kid's behavior from gifts or gifting. Mm. You know, we really want to celebrate our kids and it's really okay to put that totally outside of their behavior, even if we're still working with them on their behavior, which of course most of us are for their entire lives, we will work on it. So that would be the first thing. And then I think to encourage you, you know, just to know that when we do put a condition on their behavior or on something that they want, you know, if you behave, you will get this, usually a couple of different things can happen. One of those things is that kids will focus all of their attention on behaving, right? Because mm -hmm. they're so afraid they might not get the gift or the treasured thing, or even that treasured little bit of reading that they want at bedtime, right? It's so precious to them. Yeah. And so they can behave for a while, right? They kind of hop to and they try to do it. But then they usually can't sustain that level of behavior. It's hard. It's heavy for them. You know, that kind of obedience. And then they sort of fall apart. That mm -hmm. can leave us feeling even more frustrated. And then we feel like, oh, no, we're out of options, right? What do I do? I have nothing else to sort of dangle. Or, or maybe we turn to punishment then because mm. we've tried the reward and it hasn't worked. So that can feel kind of cruddy to us as parents and cruddy to our kids too, because then they feel like, oh, they've lost the gift or the reward. Or what can happen is the stress of having to hold it together, you know, plus worrying about the gift can make our kids go in the opposite direction. You know, they can kind of realize early that they can't meet that expectation. And then they sort of lose big, like they just fall apart right away. And that can really lead to a kid feeling bad about themselves, like they haven't met our expectations. And actually, it's pretty developmentally normal for our kids to struggle with meeting our behavior expectations and to fall apart. You know, I, I'm just hearing so much here in what you're sharing from separating the gift giving from the behavior, especially because what I'm hearing is that when we are using that condition, if you behave, that is to say, if you do as I say, or if you do what I like you to do, or what helps me feel comfortable right now, or what I need you to do so that I, then I can do something else or whatever it is. But when we have that condition, it seems like we are unconsciously tapping into our children's fear, their fear of missing out. So if I impose this condition on you, then you're going to feel afraid. So then the behavior may shift out of that fear temporarily. And I really enjoy hearing how then 
that affects us later because then the child like just can't hold that level of behavior and then they're going to do something else or we're going to feel more frustrated. So it backfires, but it also plays into the child's fear. So I think that's very important for parents to hear. The second thing that I think is so important is hearing you say that as a parent, you are going to be working for life on your relationship to your children's behavior. (laughs) (laughs) Right. A little hard to hear, but so true, right? And it's not a sign of bad parenting. You know, good, loving, wonderful parents work forever on their kids' behavior. And those kids are also good, wonderful, loving kids. It's just, it's a part of being a child and being in a parent-child relationship that There are things that our kids do that we wish they wouldn't do. And there are lessons that our kids learn throughout their lives about what is okay, what's not okay, or how to shift their behavior even when they're hurt or sad or angry or frustrated. Yeah. So it's about really working with our relationship with behavior, the behavior that they do that we like. How do we relate to that? How do we communicate in those situations? The behavior that our children do that we don't like, how do we relate to that? How do we communicate in those situations? So Caroline, you've talked about this idea of when we use that language of condition, if you behave, you will get X. We are tapping into the system of rewards. Can you talk to us a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah, so just to say a little bit more, I think one of the things that's tricky with these if-then sorts of statements is that if we start to use them a lot, kids catch on to the idea that there might always be a reward on the other end of any behavior that we, their parents, or their teachers might decide is good, Mm -hmm. right? We decide this is a good behavior, I might get a reward. And the research on this is interesting. You know, what it shows is that as they get older, many kids start asking their parents things like, well, what are you going to give me for it when their parents ask them to do something? And again, that can feel like icky to us as parents, right? Especially when it's something like, you know, oh, please, honey, would you go help your little brother get his coat on? And the response is, what are you going to give me for it? when we're asking them to demonstrate kindness toward a sibling or to another person that we really hope our kids will naturally want to demonstrate and they can, they do have kindness in them even without being taught. So that's a tough one. And also because our kids are really naturally self-centered or self-referencing when they're young, like, you know, you've noticed children sort of bring everything back to themselves and they should. That's Mm -hmm. the way it should be. That even when we don't want them to, kids can often make a leap from, if I do this certain behavior, I will get something nice, to if I'm good, or I act the way my parents want me to act, I am worthy of love. Yes. I see so much of that with the adults that I coach when they don't feel good about themselves, perhaps because they say, Alejandra, I tried communicating in this way, or I tried listening to my partner, and it didn't give me the result I wanted. Therefore, I must not be lovable or there's something wrong with me and they bring it back to themselves. If I didn't get the reward, the outcome 
that I was seeking with my behavior because the intention was conditional. It was not like, let me try this. It was like, well, I want my partner to be X. So if the reward wasn't there, then they feel bad about themselves. Right. I think we can all see how that shows up in our lives as adults, right? It's it's familiar that, oh, I'm not, I'm not lovable enough or I'm not good enough. And, you know, I know from talking to parents every day that every parent, I can't think of one, you know, who doesn't want their children to grow up feeling like they're still lovable, even when they make a mistake right. or even when they aren't at their best, right? We all want this for our kids. So we have to really think about this larger message or the larger messages that we're passing on when we use tools like rewards or punishment to get our kids to do what we want. Sometimes those tools can kind of go against our deeply held wishes for our kids and our values for our family. Yeah, I was just... Connecting to this belief that I hold dear in my heart of unconditional love, of loving our children, our family unconditionally. And that when we use this conditional language, we are going against that very wish and longing that we all have and that we all want to be loved unconditionally by others as well. So What's the message that we are giving children when, let's say, we bribe them or when we say things like, if you tidy up your room, you'll get to watch a video? Yeah, I think the message is, you know, in order to have something sweet and wonderful come your way, you have to do something that works well for me, right? Mm -hmm. Or in order to have pleasure or warmth. You know, you have to follow the rules first. Wow. Wow. I I feel sad hearing that. It's like, in order to be held in love, you need to fill out this form and follow (laughs) these rules and do all these things. And then you will be held in love, which I just feel sadness about that. And of course, we can all relate because... We were all children and we heard these things from our parents. And that's why we replicate them. Not because we don't love our children unconditionally, but because this is how we learn to communicate. That's it. That's exactly what I was hoping to say is that we don't realize that we're doing this. It's so familiar. And also it's so frustrating, right? When our kids don't follow our requests, they don't, you know, follow the rules that we've set up. We feel that they're making our life harder and we just get tight and tense and we just want them to do it. So I really uh, have so much understanding and personal empathy for this, how we get into this situation because it is real. (laughs) The struggle is real. So we'll talk at the end about sort of one of the ways that I might be able to help parents with that. But I don't mean to suggest at all that this is easy because it's not. It's a real, it takes real work and trying and trying again. Absolutely. One of my teachers, Marshall Rosenberg, used to say, of all the roles in the world, parenting is the hardest. Yes. So parents need the support, the listening, 
the empathy every day because it's the hardest role that we have guiding someone guiding little ones through life teaching them everything we think we need to teach them it's a full-time job <laughs> right thank you for that it's such a lovely thing to hear from someone else yes yes so i'm thinking about the language about also not just gifts but rituals traditions that happen during the holidays for example you and i have taught workshops about families creating rituals with their children something that communicates this is us this is what we do together i still have sweet sweet memories of my childhood in argentina when i was young we didn't really get gifts or things for christmas it was more on january 6 when the three wise men would come and would show up in my living room and i have such sweet memories of gathering grass with my dad and going around the neighborhood and cutting grass for the camels and really? and then uh, using all my savings that year because the three wise men loved champagne so oh. <laughs> <laughs> so i would buy champagne and and here's the condition again right if i have the grass for the camels and the water for the camels and the champagne and chocolates for the three wise men <laughs> then the next day and there's this tradition in Argentina where we put our shoes in the living room so that the three wise men know where to leave your gifts next to your shoes and or else you know it could be up for grabs anybody could get that gift so um so so then i would uh, polish my shoes and leave it, my nicest pair of shoes impeccably there in the living room so that the next day I could find gifts. So, can you tell us a little bit about, I don't know, the language that we can use with children about these traditions and rituals that happen during the holidays that can bring so much warmth and love and connection to. Yeah, I think there's such a beautiful sweetness to holiday traditions or any traditions that we have as families. You know, you said this is us earlier and I think that's what we even used to call the class that we taught, right? right. And that's that's exactly it, right? Like these traditions give our children that sense of belonging to us, to our family, to how we are as a unit. and that is so precious and so nourishing to our kids. You know, what they want most of all is to feel us gathered around them both uh physically and emotionally, to feel that we're near, that there's warmth between us, that there's joy. And of course, we have those moments when we're parenting just in our everyday lives, and sometimes they can get a little thin. you know especially when at certain developmental ages when our kids are testing us a lot and we feel particularly challenged by their behavior so the holidays and other times of ritual or tradition are really chances for us to infuse a little bit more of that warmth and belonging and safety into the lives and the hearts of our children so i think they're they're deeply important even if they're unique to us sometimes that's even more special you know it doesn't have to be yeah. you know christmas or hanukkah or the three wise men or you know anything that anyone else shares but repeated rituals and traditions that are special and 
heartfelt for our family are so beautiful. Yeah, I still remember the first Christmas I ever spent in the United States. I was 29 years old when that happened. And many of you listeners know that the first time I came to the US was with an exchange program when I was 15. And I kept in touch with the family who hosted me at that time. So I was 29. They invited me to spend a few days with them over Christmas. And the night before Christmas, which is when in Argentina we have a big party, but it's very different here. The night before Christmas, there was a new set of pajamas for me because the whole family wore a new set of pajamas the night before Christmas. And I felt such a deep sense of belonging to that family. I still do because they included me in that ritual that they have had for years, the whole family wearing new jammies. <laughs> so sweet. Literally a warm tradition, right? It's like you actually <laughs> yes. feel the physical warmth there in addition to the belonging. Oh. <laughs> right. Plus this was in Western Massachusetts where it's very cold. <laughs> you really need that warmth. <laughs> during Christmas. Yes. Yes. So in many cultures during the end or the beginning of the year, people celebrate the holidays by giving gifts to children that come from Santa, the three wise men, Father Noel, etc. And by the way, if you're a parent listening to this with little ones, you may want to pause this, grab some headsets so that this part is for your ears only. How do we talk to children about this, about these magic, awe-striking things that may happen and these gifts that we may receive from these special beings? Yes, I love the way you put that, right? Yeah, it's such a tricky one, right? Especially for those of us that I think are really committed to, you know, being honest with our children. This is in this kind of murky zone. How do we do yeah. this and still preserve some of the sweet mystery and magic of the season, which many yes. of us also value. So I think, you know, because there are so many traditions that rely on these certain stories or myths or legends, um, and we want our kids, many of us, to experience that magic that we might remember from our own childhoods or maybe we felt we missed out on that kind of experience and we want to give it to our children. But does it mean that we have to lie to our children, right? It's like, how do we hold both of those things? Right. So I'll tell you a few things. And I feel like there's no one right answer to this. It's so individual, just like our families are unique. This, this answer is, it's a different answer for many of us. So some parents choose to tell their children the truth from the very beginning, right? That they provide the gifts while still preserving what they feel is the important message or the magic in the season. They might teach their children, for example, that like anyone can be Santa and the season is about fulfilling wishes and dreams for other people. And then they look for ways to spread the joy and kindness to their friends or even their neighbors or people they don't know maybe. Like, mm. let's give that love to people whether they're our family members or not. So that can be a beautiful way that people do it that I really respect and find so in line with what's true about this season or what we want to be true, right? Right, yes. 
And then some parents go ahead with telling their children, like let's say Santa is often the big one if people celebrate Christmas. They tell their children the story of Santa. Santa brings these gifts and or Father Christmas and you know, they just know that at some point they're going to have to have a conversation with their children where they have to explain why they let their children believe this thing for so long, which turns out to be not quite true, right? There's we act as Santa as parents, but there is no actual Santa. And, you know, I remember my nephew, who's now 17, holding on to the story of Santa like much, much longer than his friends, than most kids. You know, most kids, by the time they're not eight, nine, 10, they sort of have figured things out. I think he was 12 when he finally sort of like consented to being told. I think he knew, but he just loved it so much that. I think his younger sister knew before he did. He just wanted to preserve it. And they could, his parents could tell. Right. And I, I remember some of my friends being so heartbroken yes. finding out. I remember others being so mad at their parents. What? You're the three wise men? Yes. And I was one like your nephew after having found the truth. I was in complete denial. No, this oh. cannot be true. The three wise men are coming. I have seen their rings because <laughs> my grandmother told me a story about the three wise men rings. And then she claimed to have one of the rings. So, <laughs> and showed me a special <laughs> ring, maybe when I was four or something. Oh. So I'm like, no, they do exist. And I was probably 11 or 12 until, okay, all my friends were like, come on, get on board. <laughs> the three wise men are our parents. It's okay. <laughs> yes. Right. So you can see kids have such different reactions, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, it's not as simple as true, false, right? Like either we do or we don't. Like there's so many, just like there's so many different kinds of us people in the world. Right. So I remember feeling sort of like twin feelings of, loss and also feeling sort of important when I mm -hmm. learned the truth. Like, you know, I had lost something that I really loved and I believed in it, but also there was this way in which sort of knowing the truth meant I was growing up, I was mm -hmm. ready to understand something or how things work on a deeper level, you know, it was, it felt important. But either, no matter how it goes, you know, it can be an opportunity for our kids to learn, to grow. If we treat it with reverence, you know, the same reverence we typically treat the season with, like, oh, it's magical, it's important, there's so much goodness. That conversation should have that same kind of importance, I think. And it should open up a space where we can talk to our kids about it and listen to them. How does it land for them? And why did we do it? And what did we feel like we wanted to offer them? And how can we preserve it even when the truth is out there, right? The wise men can still come. They can help be Santa. So what do we say to children when they have siblings and one of them has figured it out where the gifts are coming from? Or if a friend has told them about this, like, do we tell the, the old older sibling, like, don't tell your little one? It's tricky. Yeah, I think we can do that. That's one option, right? And I think what's often true is that even when siblings might, you know, struggle to get along or have a hard time with each other, they often really are trying to take care of one another. 
Mm. You know, they notice that who's younger and who's still learning and who's got a little more information. And so I always suggest that parents talk with the older sibling and enlist their help, you know, rather than just saying, don't tell the younger ones, you know, but just bring them into the fold, help them participate in keeping the magic alive. You know, this can help. Often the older siblings will feel like, oh, you know, with this new information, again, I've entered a different stage. I can be helpful now. And also then they get to help kind of carry the magic for the younger ones that it can feel special in a different way. This is our kids want to feel that they're growing up and also that they don't have to totally grow up, right? They can still participate and enjoy the magic of the season too. Yeah, thank you for that. I love this. Having been the youngest in my family, and my sisters were teenagers by the time I was born, they helped with that uh, cultivation of that magic and having conversations years later when I as an adult with my middle sister, uh, she shared how special that was for her to participate with my parents seeing the joy I was going to have the next day and and how magical it was for me the, the next day. So what a, what a wonderful thing to say to the siblings who have figured it out or we've told and how they can collaborate, keeping, keeping the magic, the mystery, the wondrous feelings of the holidays. All right, Caroline, anything else you'd like to share with us before before we end this episode? Yeah, I think maybe just to not forget to enjoy the rituals, the traditions or the experiences that you work so hard to create for your kids, right? Sometimes we, you know, we get so focused on our kids and so wrapped up in how we can make this happen that it feels tiring for us. Mm. And I think we can forget why it matters, right? That maybe it's better to say we can forget how much we matter, how much we are part of this equation for our kids. You know, they would, as even though our kids can get focused on gifts and focused on things, actually they would rather have us present and available and joyful with them over any gift or any special experience in the world we matter the most to them. So, you know, go out and enjoy the holidays and remember you matter the most. Your warmth and your closeness is the most important thing to your children. The greatest gift you can give to your children, your presence, your availability, your warmth, your love. Ah, so touching. Thank you so much, Caroline, for sharing your wisdom and beautiful tools applicable tools that parents can use right now. And speaking of which, you have something very precious coming up that I am so excited about for next year. Can you tell us a little bit of that? What do you have coming up? Yes, I'm very excited to be launching an online course in the new year. And I was saying earlier, this will be that I'll tell you something that we can do when we come up against these hard moments. Like how do we get our kids to 
do well and listen to us when if we don't want to use conditions or what do we do in those hard moments when we feel like, oh, I don't want to repeat the things that my parents said to me or I'm trying to be a certain kind of parent, but when it gets hard, I lose the words. I don't know what the tools are. I just struggle. So yeah. The course will be about just that, you know, how we can show up as the parents we want to be in those hard moments, how we can move toward more warmth and connection, even when our kids' behavior frustrates us. So, yeah, it's been beautiful to witness you pour your heart and soul and expertise in this course and really teach parents what they can do in their hard moments. How can they use language and tools to go beyond punishment or reward? Thank you. Yeah. So if you sign up for my mailing list, you'll find out about that course. It's coming, I think, in February. And in the meantime, I send a weekly email called The Parenting Pause. It's a one-minute read. With Which one I highly two. recommend. I read it every Monday. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. They're really fun to write because I think, how can I make this as short as possible for the parent who's about to leap into their week and so much busyness? So yeah, so they have one tool or idea to think about in your parenting that week, often about these kinds of topics. And you can find the link to sign up for that in the show notes, right, Alejandra? Yes, that's right. All the links will be in the show notes. Caroline, as always, my dear friend, my teaching partner, my communication teacher with children. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And may you have connecting and nourishing holidays. Thank you so much, Alejandra. And I hope that for you and for all the wonderful souls who listen to your podcast and all the families out there who are, I hope, enjoying the season. Yes. And thank you so much, all of you for listening. And a special thanks to my client, Leah for all the work she did to communicate consciously with her two lovely daughters. May you have a connecting holiday season. Until next week, and as we say in Argentina, ciao, ciao. Original music by Gary Lapoe. You can find all the links I mentioned here in the show notes at languagealchemy.com. Mm-hmm.